Hey, 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 this is Jonathan Breck, the Creeper, and you're listening to the Don't Go Out There podcast. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to... The Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. Really appreciate y'all support, and I am super excited for our next guest. A man whose career has spanned four decades now, most known as the Creeper from the Jeepers Creepers franchise, Mr. Jonathan Breck. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today, sir? I'm great, Nico. Thank you for having me, man. When you said four decades, I was like, really? Shit. I guess that's right. Four decades. It goes like that, you know? Having too much fun. So Time does go by fast, my friend. That's right. Jonathan, we always like to ask our guests how they got into the acting business. I was blown away by your story at Spookala and really appreciated your inspirational message you gave to the audience to pursue what, you know, fulfills their day. Because, you know, you said you had grown, like you hated, like your days weren't fulfilled doing what you were doing. Can you share yeah. your story with us and how you got to Hollywood? Yeah. Yeah. My pleasure. So I was raised in a pretty conservative family down in Texas and I, I acted in school and like high school and well, ever since I was a kid, you know, I, I liked performing and being on stage and, um, and I acted in high school. And then when I got to college, I acted a little bit, but you know, where I come from, acting was not a serious pursuit, you know, it was not a real profession, right? Quote unquote. And so when I got out of college, you know, my folks were like, yeah, you're not doing that, you know, and I, I, <laughs> I listened to them and, um, I got a, I got a regular career. Um, and I was three years in and was just totally unfulfilled, you know, and, and, uh, was like, I can't do this another day. And, um, I'd always loved acting and I was like, you know, I, I want to, I want to do something I love with my life. And, uh, had the opportunity to, to do it. So I, I literally, I quit my job. I was living on the East coast at the time, quit my job, rented a U-Haul threw all my stuff in a U-Haul and headed to California. Didn't know anybody. It was like a movie, you know, it just was like, I could, it just couldn't, I kind of felt that window closing, you know, I kind of feel like you have an opportunity to do certain things in your life and you have to jump through that window or else the window closes. And, all you're left with is regrets. And so that's kind of how I felt. And at that time in my life. And so I, uh, with equal parts, courage and stupidity, I, uh, I got, <laughs> I got in the truck and I headed West and, uh, and, and started acting, you know, and, um, it's been the best experience of my life. I tell people all the time, if I never would have gotten a job, I, I still wouldn't have regretted it. Wouldn't have regretted the minute of it, you know? So, so yeah. So the moral of the story is, uh, you know, you just gotta, you, I mean, everybody hears that all the time. It's like, you got to do what you love and everybody's like, well, what the hell does that mean? You know? Yeah. And I think it's just, you know, realizing that you got one shot and you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know what's around every corner. As a matter of fact, you never will. You just have to have enough courage to take that first step. And so that's, that's kind of what I did. I went in and quit my job and that then there was no looking back, you know, and rented a truck and threw all my shit in there and 
next thing I know, I was, there was no, there was no retreat, you know, I just, I made myself <laughs> move forward. So, so I, I, well, that's awesome. I, uh, I recommend it, you know, um, I recommend if there's something that you got to do with your life. I used to hear old actors say, I'd listen to interviews like everybody else, you know, famous actors and, they would always say, Oh, it's such a hard profession. You know, it's like, it, it, trust me, if you can do, if you can possibly do anything else for your life, if you can do it, I recommend you do it. And I was like, well, what, what the hell do they mean? Of course I could do something else. I mean, everybody can do right. something else. What they really right. meant is now I know if you can let yourself do something else, do it. You know, if, if you need, if you, there's something in your life that you feel like you have to have like air, then you better be, you better figure out a way to just do it, you know? So. Absolutely. Anyway, you only live my, once. Like the cliche. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, ju- so just to kind of jump into some of your earlier work, look, I'm, a, I grew up on it. I'm a big Star Trek nerd. I, I will confess to that. I've got to ask you about your stint as member of the board <laughs> collective on Star Trek yeah. Voyager. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about that process and the makeup for that, for being a board is just looks brutal in itself. Yeah. You know, that was my first entree into prosthetics. I'd never worn prosthetics before and I got that job and that was one of the first jobs I'd ever gotten. And, um, everybody was like, Oh man, you're working with seven of nine. You're working with seven of nine. And I wasn't a Star Trek fan at the time. I wasn't a Voyager <laughs> fan at the time. And I was like, what are they talking about? Who the hell's seven of nine? You know? And then I got on the set and I was like, whoa, seven of nine. <laughs> how about, how about 10 of nine? You know what I mean? Right. There a, you go. Jerry Ryan's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I, I remember my first day on set, my call time was 4 a.m. And I was supposed to be in the makeup chair at 4. And I was supposed to be stepping on the set at 8 a.m. And they were such a well-oiled machine. I mean, I was sitting in a chair at four. They had a crew of people working on me and I stepped on the set at eight, right on the dot. Wow. And it was wow. like they had it down, you know, but it was, it was a whole crew of people. It was like, <laughs> you're going through an assembly line in that makeup trailer at Voyager. You know, one person did one thing, somebody else did something else and you literally worked your way down the line. And then you walked out and you're a new Borg, you know? So it was fine. <laughs> That's it, was awesome. a great, it was a great job. <laughs> yeah. As, as, I think that was probably the first well, I know it was the first opportunity I had to kind of work through makeup, you know, communicate through prosthetics, which is a, a, a something unto itself, right? So, absolutely. Yeah. Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to transition into Jeepers Creepers. Before we jump mm-hmm. right into film or character questions, I noticed that some guy named Francis Ford Coppola was executive producer of that film. Like he's <laughs> he's directed some pretty famous films. Can you talk about? I actually literally just got done watching The Outsiders before we recorded this, so that's kind of cool. But um, uh, that's cool. Can you talk about meeting him and working with such a le- legend? Well, first of all, the very first call I ever got to audition, th- they really didn't they didn't say anything, and I'm sure we'll get to it at some point in the conversation tonight. But they said one of the first things my agent said was Francis Ford Coppola is pretty. And I was like, okay, what time? <laughs> you know where I got to be, right? And I couldn't believe that they wanted to see me for Francis Ford Coppola produced movie at the time. But uh, man, it was such a thrill. Um, he came to the set a couple times, and uh, 
I've never really gotten starstruck that much, but I remember not really being able to pull a couple, two words together. I had, couldn't string two words together with the, in front of the guy. I was just so kind of in awe of the guy. We had lunch together one, one day and I can't remember anything I said. I'm sure it wasn't very intelligent, but, uh, he was very, he was very, very nice. He was, um, he said, you know, some really big actors started in makeup. Uh, and that's really true. Um, and he was involved in, in the script, you know, in, in, uh, in developing the script with Victor and he was involved in cutting my one line that the creeper had. I don't know if you oh. knew that at one point in time, I had a line actually in the first movie and, and, uh, Victor said one day, he said, okay, Francis said, we got to cut your line. It's like, Oh, come on, man. Oh, man. He said, it's Francis Ford Coppola. Come on, what are you going to do? And I was like, okay, no, you're right. So Francis is right. So. Right. So he cut my line, but no, it's just, I mean, it's just a, it's an honor working with him. He came to the set one day with, um, his brother, Augie, when Augie was still alive and that's Nick Cage's dad. And, um, it was cool getting to meet those guys, talk to them. Awesome, so awesome. awesome, man. And like you just mentioned, we're going to talk about it. Can you talk about your audition process for the creeper? The video is on YouTube. If anyone listening wants to check it out. And I say this with the, most respect I can. You were absolutely horrifying in it. I did watch it and you were quite scary. <laughs> I, I was, that was one of those auditions where I couldn't really even tell you what happened. I mean, I'm glad they recorded it because now I can look back and see what I did because I was just, you know, I, I had about two weeks to come up with that character and you can imagine it's a hard, hard thing to audition for. You know, my agent called and said, Hey, we we've, we've got this kind of strange audition for you. Um, they want you to come in and, and audition for this character and we don't know much about him. We know he's a few thousand years old and we know he eats people. Um, and that's about it. And that's really all they gave me to go on. And I said, okay, send me the script and stuff. And they said, well, you don't really have any lines, so we're not going to send you the script. And I was like, well, what the hell, what, what, what am I supposed to do in the audition? They said, well, they just want you to create the character and just come in the room and be the character. Wow. It was the strangest thing ever, man. And wow. I had, but wow. fortunately for me, I had like two weeks. And so I was like, okay. So I started thinking on it, meditating on it and thought about, okay, I don't, obviously I don't have any lines. So I'm gonna have to communicate with my, everything's going to be about behavior. Everything's going to be about looks and the way he walks and the way he stalks his prey and everything is at every moment I'm communicating with behavior. And so, um, I started thinking about super predators. Cause I figured this guy was a super predator and then it led me to other things. And it, I just went way down a rabbit hole and put a character together that I felt really good about. Um, and I was about, I would say I was probably about, I felt like I was about 95% there. I was like confident. I was like, okay, I got this character. I think I got something good to show him, but I, I didn't have that last 5%. And it was just, I couldn't figure it out. And the night before the audition, by the way, I look like I do now. I actually had a little bit more hair back then. Long blonde hair. You know, I, I, I was about the least intimidating looking guy. <laughs> and I woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, that's it. I got to shave my head. I got to go in completely bald and slick and clean because this character wouldn't have hair. He wouldn't want to clean up, you know? So, uh, I went down the hall, woke my roommate up and said, you know, Doug, you gotta, you gotta shave my head. And, uh, three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> the night before the audition, he shaved my head 
And when I, when I first looked at myself in the mirror, that was the extra, the 5% just went clinks right into place, you know? And, um, and I woke up the next morning, I called my agent and said, I'm thinking about shaving my head. (laughs) And she was like, don't do it. You know, you Uh won't work for four months. And I was like, fuck, it's already done. I I didn't tell her I already did it. I just, I just did it, you know? And, um, and I remember on the way to the audition, just, um, thinking to myself, I got a call from an old acting mentor of mine. He said, you know, when you walk in that room, just do the first thing that comes to you. Don't think about it. Don't edit it. Don't even hesitate for a millisecond, you know, cause you do, you're dead. Right. And so, um, you know, I walked in the room and it was a, it was a traditional, well, it's even, it was, it was crazy because usually for auditions, you go in and you have a pre-read and you, so you'll meet maybe the casting director, you might even meet a casting assistant and they'll, they'll read with you and they'll decide whether or not you deserve to go to the casting director. And then they'll, and they'll send you in front of the producer. So it's like a a battery of auditions. You probably heard this, right? Right. To get a big film like this, but they'd been looking for this character for a while and they were really up against it. So as luck would have it, the room was full of people. I mean, producers, everything. And, you know, they had a, a, a chair sitting out in the middle of the room and they had a table across from the chair with, a, like I said, about eight, nine people, 10 people behind it. And they walked me in. I just walked in, sat down in the chair. Nobody even looked up. Everybody was still looking down. It's just like a bad Hollywood show, right? Everybody's eating right. or on their phone or what. I mean, nobody, nobody could, nobody even knew I was there. They weren't paying attention. And then I just sat there quietly in the chair and then director looked up and looked at me down at my picture, looked back up at me, looked down at my picture, looked back up and said, you don't have any hair. And I said, well, sir, this character wouldn't have any hair. So I shaved it. And everybody in the room just kind of went. Nice. Up, and, the, <laughs> and the energy just changed. It just went. Whoa. And I was like. Got you know, and then it, it was just what it just took off from there for me. I, like I said, I don't really recall, couldn't, didn't really remember what I did. I just, I just went, went for it, you know, and it worked out. So, of course, they tell you it's a little, little, one little other bit of tidbit that I think the listeners will enjoy. So, they tell you, you know, who they are. They always tell you, right, that you're never supposed to like threaten a casting director for real. You never encroach their space, never intimidate them really for real, never threaten them, never. Man, I went after that casting director. I threw his ass (laughs) up against the wall. I I just broke, I just, I broke every unwritten rule that they say you're not supposed to do. And, uh, you know, it worked out. As a matter of fact, um, Courtney Gaines, you know, Courtney Malachi from Children of the Corn, right? Right. We laughed because he did the same damn thing. You know, he, he went into his first audition with a butcher knife and he, he, ch- he chased the casting director around the room with a butcher knife. <laughs> he thought he was completely insane. <laughs> so, but back to your original question about follow your instincts, you know, I think it's, it was the most valuable lesson I ever, or ever learned as an actor, as a person really is, you know, you got to go with what, go with your gut, man. Don't second guess yourself. So. Well, I mean, speaking of that headspace that you had to get into, I mean, we had James U. Courtney on uh, pretty recently, and he's, he talked about whenever he would put on that Michael Myers mask, like his yeah. mindset and psyche, the entire thing would just change for him 
is is that kind of the same thing that that you experienced uh, getting into the creeper character? Yeah, totally. I mean, the creeper, the process of becoming the creeper, depending on what day it was, four to seven hours to get in the makeup. And so I, I just, you know, you sit there and you watch yourself disappear. It's a layering. It's, it's prosthetics. It's not a mask. It's, it's literally layered on piece by painstaking piece. So you're literally watching yourself disappear, right, with each application. And so, right. you know, that became like a meditation. I just watched myself disappear. And after seven hours, number one, you're pissed. But number two, you're, you're like, you're bulletproof. You know, you stand, by the time you stand up out of the chair, you're like, get the fuck out of my way. Let's go to work, man. Let's go. And, um, it just, you're exactly right. It's, it's, he's right. You know, something about being in that, that outfit, that costume, it, it was, it goes so far to make you feel like the guy. Um, and I remember the first time, the very first makeup test, I wasn't, I wasn't looking at a mirror. And so I didn't see what was going on. And I stood up and they were like, why don't you go look at yourself? And I walked past, I walked into the bathroom and I walked past a mirror and I literally scared the shit out of myself because I saw something walk past and I was like, oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, uh, and I had, and, and some people on the set might tell you I, I was, I was probably a little bit too pumped up, you know, cause I didn't listen to anybody. I, I kind of did what I wanted to do. <laughs> Nobody could tell me shit when I was in makeup. So <laughs> Nice. It's awesome. So the final scene revealing Justin Long's horrific death, I think is what kicked off the running joke that he suffers just these horrible deaths in all of his horror films. He's a legend in this genre. And I think Gina Phillips is underrated as a final girl. Do you have any favorite memories or a particular favorite scene with those two? Well, funny story. So Victor and I had the, had the idea that, um, that I should stay sequestered from, Justin and Gina when we shot. Matter of fact, I was sequestered from everybody on the film. Um, I just thought it would be better if nobody knew who was really behind the mask. Oh yeah. I thought it'd be better to just stay a mystery. Um, you know, if they knew who I was, God forbid they liked me, you know, it might temper their performance a little bit and be honest with you. I didn't want to like them. Right. You know, I was there to kind of do a job. So we, I stayed, in solitary confinement basically for three, three months while we shot that film. So unfortunately I really never got to develop a relationship with Justin or Gina. I mean, I, I've developed a little bit of one since and, and, uh, I'm a fan of both of their works. I mean, Justin's had an amazing career. Um, but I didn't actually get to meet him personally until the rap party for the first time. And, uh, so I, uh, but I'm a big admirer of his work. I think he's fantastic. And he was great in that movie. And Gina was fantastic in that movie too. As a matter of fact, you know, I think we're all kind of disappointed. She didn't, we haven't seen her in more stuff since then, you know, cause she's really talented and she was great in that movie. So, but no, I didn't, I didn't, my, my scenes were, uh, well, as far as memorable scenes working with them, that last scene in the, in the, in the, uh, in the police station, where I jump through the two-way mirror and I'm, I'm taking, I'm deciding which kind of, which one I want to take, you know, I'm, I've got dairy and I'm going to, and she's pleading with me. That was a really intense scene. And we shot that for most of a day. And that was a really cool scene to do with both of them. You can imagine really intense. Yeah. 
So. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask you about Jeepers Creepers too now. And in my opinion, has one of the most underrated opening scenes in horror. When we spoke in person, you were a fan as well. Can you talk about that opening scene and how truly horrific it was? Well, I, I mean, I, Nico, I remember reading the, the script for the first time. I'm like, wait a minute. The little 10-year-old blonde boy gets killed in the first 10 minutes? It's a Jeepers Creepers movie, man. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's like, I mean, I'm proud of that series because that's the kind of stuff that happens in Jeepers Creepers. You mean, it's, just, it's like we like to surprise the audience and keep keep them on their toes. And um, I just, I couldn't when I was even reading it, I couldn't believe it, you know, just kind of as a fan, just reading the scene and, uh, that the creeper on the cross, it was so, so scary, man. Just having the, having that creeper up there with all the scarecrows on the cross and just, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, you said it, it's one of the most iconic, I think, opening scenes of a, of a, of a horror movie. Um, so kudos to Victor you know, the writer director who, who wrote it and imagined it somehow because it's just, it's, it sets the right tone for that movie, I think. So. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And just kind of staying with part two, you kind of, you get this bigger buffet of victims compared, you know, to mostly just stalking after Trish and Derry. Did you have a different approach in this film, you know, portraying the creeper, uh, you know, kind of considering the different setting. And once again, just kind of talking about that mindset. I mean, did it differ any in the second one? Well, it did because, you know, the second movie I look at is really, it was, it was kind of the creepers movie, you know, in the first film, yeah. you don't really even sure. see me come in until about halfway through. Right. And then you, even then, you know, you see me in a lot of shadows and stuff and, and, you know, with the second movie, I'm, I'm in full display almost from the opening frame, you know, and not only that, but, you know, um, I'm in a full body suit, I'm flying, yeah. I'm just, it's just, it's like the creeper on steroids, that film, you know, so, so definitely my mindset was, I was, it was all my movie really at that point, you know, so, um, um, I feel like, you know, the creeper was playing a lot more, like you said, cat and mouse in the first movie. Right. But in this movie, it was all about, you know, the clock is ticking. I got a few more minutes and I got to go back underground. I got to get some <laughs> shit done, you know? So the sense of urgency was just pumped up, you know? Nice. So, um, so yeah, for sure that the mentality was completely different on that film. Um, and I had a blast shooting that film. That was probably, uh, as a, as a fan I get, I get asked this a lot as a fan. I still like watching the first movie personally, but as an actor, the second movie is so much fun to do, you know? Nice. So. Yeah. Some really cool weapons in that second one too, but I got to <laughs> tell you my Jeepers Creepers story. Now, uh, Jonathan, when I was a young boy in seventh grade, you know, me and my friends were staying the night at his house for his birthday party. You know, we did the old famous Walmart run, you know, back when they were open all night. And we bought Jeepers Creepers on DVD. The movie horrified us. Some of my favorite scenes and visuals are Trish and Derry seeing you dumping the bodies down the tunnel, eating the tongue from the decapitated head in the road, you flying off with Derry, and, of course, the opening scene from the second one. What are some of your favorite scenes from those films? You know, the very first, 
I don't know why, but the first scenes in every Jeepers Creepers movie, the first scene that the creeper has, I should say, uh, or the, uh, let me say the first, I should, the first scene that I ever shot for each movies right. and it, cause it was different for the second movie than it was for the first movie. The first movie, the first scene I shot was the first time you see the creeper, which is when the Trish and Jerry are driving past and I'm dumping bodies down the pipe. Right. Um, that scene, you know, I didn't know anybody. They didn't know me. Victor and I knew each other a little cause we collaborated a little bit in pre-production leading up to, to the day when we started shooting but we didn't really know each other that well. And they got me out there on the road and Victor's explaining the shot to me. He's like, okay, you know, uh, Trish and Derry are going to be in the car and they're going to be driving past you and they're going to see you just dumping bodies down this pipe. So I just want you to just, you know, dump bodies down the pipe and they're just going to drive by. And that's the shot. And so, um, you know, he's, he's on the process trailer and, and anytime they shoot from a point of view of, of a car, it's a process trailer. They got cameras and everything on there. And so Victor's on there and he's driving by with a camera and they're shooting me, you know, dumping bodies down this pipe. And so they shot it a couple times. And, uh, and I was like, you know, Victor, I want to try something. And Victor was a great collaborative director, is a great co- collaborative director. And so he's like, sure, man, go for it. Try what you want. And, um, I was like, you know, I just feel like the, the, the creeper, he knows what's going on. Matter of fact, he knows who that is in that car. And he knows they're watching him. And so what would he do at this moment? I was like, I just want to, I want to, to let them know that I know that they saw me. And so I just was dumping bodies. And when I heard the car go by, I just turned around and I just walked to the edge of the church and I just looked at him. And, uh, I heard Victor squealing with laughter, which is what he always <laughs> did when, when he, when he got scared, you know, he had that, re- that response, he would always laugh. And I was like, what's going on? Who's laughing? And after the shot, they call me over to the process trailer and Victor is laughing. He's like, Hey, trust me. I laugh when it works. He's like, that was the scariest opening to see the creeper for the first time. And, and the reason I point that out is because, you know, we, collaborated together. He gave me a lot of freedom to do things that I wanted to do as the character. And that's when, when, when making films gets really fun. Is it when you're just adding to things, you know, he's got an idea, I've got an idea. We're ripping off each other. We're collaborating. And and so that scene was a lot of fun because it worked. We just came up with something in the moment and it worked. And, and for Jeepers Creepers too, the very first scene I ever shot was, creeper running through the cornfield. Remember when, when Minxie is, is, uh, dreaming and she sees a creeper run through the cornfield. Okay. And, and, uh, I walked on the set that day and Victor's like, okay, you're going to start on the other end of this cornfield and you're going to run through this corn. And then we're going to put a mark on the ground right here. And you're going to pop out of the cornfield and you're going to hit this mark and you're going to take a throwing star and you're going to have a throwing star. And then you're going to throw this throwing star past the camera, which was about 30 feet away. And we're going to put a little target up here. So, so try to, you know, throw the throwing star to this target so that the camera has a good angle of the star coming past the lens. I was like, well, wait a minute. I was like, wait a minute. First of all, the field is plowed, right? I don't know if you've ever run a, Nico, you've probably run in a plowed field before. Tried to, right? (laughs) (laughs) Sound like you might have. Anyway, um, so the field's like 50 yards long. It's plowed. The corn's about 
you know, seven feet high. They put, it's ridiculous. So, so 50 yards, I run 50 yards through a plowed field of six foot high corn. I come, I just happened to come out on a mark, which is a piece of tape on the ground. It was almost comical, right? And then <laughs> I throw a throwing star 30 yards in front of the camera. And I, I try to hit a, a, a blanket, a ferny pad with a little X with a little tape X in it. And I'm like, is there a camera watching me now? I was like, this is like a joke, <laughs> you know? And, um, and so I did it the first time and I came busting out of that corn and I threw that throwing star and it buzzed the top of the camera and everybody dove, you know, diving nice. each way. And then the second, but the second time I did it, it was, it was, I came out on the mark. I threw the throwing star and stuck it. I went right past the lens of the camera and I stuck it in the, in the furniture pad on nice. the X. It was hanging nice. there, you know? And I, I was like, I just, I just had that, you know, those movies and that's, and that's those first scenes, by the way, that kind of let me know, it relaxed me. It was like, okay, I don't know what's going on here, but we're making something special. You know, it's, nice. I, it's working. Right. And right. so, both of those first scenes in those movies are special to me because the first time I walked on the set and, uh, I, I can't tell you, it was like divine intervention. It just worked out. And I, I think that, you know, for us in a lot of ways, those movies have, have been that way for us. You know, they just, they resonated with people. So. Absolutely have. Yeah. So got some fun questions now. I mean, you were phenomenal as the creeper. <laughs> But given the opportunity, and if you could choose, what other horror villains would you like to portray? And then what are maybe some non-horror characters you would like to portray? Oh, man. Um, I would have loved to take taken a crack at a character like uh, Jack Nicholson in The Shining. I, I love that role, man. I would, I would have loved to have had a crack at something like that. Uh <laughs> right <clears throat> Floyd is my credit good here your credit's fine <laughs> sir <laughs> oh man <clears throat> I would have loved it and then as far as non-horror films <clears throat> I think anything like <clears throat> Indiana Jones or something like that would have been a blast you know adventure films yeah. yeah, exotic lo exotic location somewhere. Oh yeah, beautiful girl. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, right? Yeah, absolutely. Seven of nine. So something like that would have been fun. Uh, actually, you know, I never really did much TV. <clears throat> Always did movies. I don't know why, but I never did much TV. I guess I could. I could. It, it could still happen that way, but it hasn't so far. I've just done movies, and I would have loved to have done more TV. Uh, in my career, uh, and do more TV in my career because it, 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 it lets you go deeper inside of a character, you know, with movies, it's like you prepare and you go and you get one shot at it and that's it. And then you wrap the movie and you move on. But I kind of got a taste of that with, with the creeper and cheaper creepers. Cause I got to come back and do two more movies. And it's interesting to have t let right. time settle on you a little bit. You know, you get a little bit right. of perspective. Mm -hmm. And you're able to push deeper in a character. And so I was always a little bit envious of 
my friends that worked regularly in TV because they got to go back every day and do it again the next day. And so you really had right. the benefit of perspective and it gave you the op- opportunity to take, take more chances, I think, because you knew you could come back and have another shot at it the next day and, and go deeper into your character, kind of flex the character's muscles a little bit more. And, and it becomes a little bit more second nature the longer you're doing a character. At least that's what I experienced in the times I did it as the creeper. And so I, I think TV would be a hell of a lot of fun to do, you know, creatively. Yeah. It'd be fun. Yeah. Sure. So you'd like to do more TV, but you have do, and you do a lot of conventions. This is a question yeah. we always like to ask our guests. What's your most memorable fan experience from a convention? It, it can be an awkward <laughs> experience, funny, even sentimental. What sticks out the most to you about an experience you've had at a convention? Man. I've done everything. I, I just, I just uh, helped a guy propose to his girlfriend. Wow! I walked up with the ring. That was a blast. Nice. You know, nice. uh, <laughs> that just happened. And uh, you know, I just so many crazy experiences with people. Um, I love hearing people's stories. To be honest with you, I, it sounds a little corny, but everybody comes. You know, I get a lot of people's stories. I don't know why, but they, they just, they tell me, you know, who they saw the you know, maybe they saw the first cheaper scrapers with their dad. He's no longer with them or whatever. And just, right. I get a lot of personal stories and, and quite honestly, I love being, having the opportunity to get out and meet people like that. I, I'm, I feel so uh, honored that, that fans uh, liked what I did in those movies and that they want to come out and see me at one of these shows when I'm appearing there and that they uh, I'm important enough to them that they feel like doing that and sharing a little bit of their life with me. And so I love, I just hear great stories about people, crazy stories about people just, and, uh, yeah. So I've really been impacted by a lot of the people that I've met over the years, but as you can imagine, crazy shit. I mean, I've signed, I've signed in places that you wouldn't believe (laughs) body parts. You wouldn't believe, and all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, I mean, all the, anything you've heard about conventions is probably true. What goes oh, yeah. on there, you know, it's like, yeah. like Vegas with no, with, with, without That's Vegas right. rules. I mean, you know, there's no rules. So anyway, right. I love it. So I just want to ask you one quick follow-up to the conventions. Like you said, you meet a lot of people every day. Like, do you have to like, before you walk into that auditorium or wherever, do you have to like, get mentally prepared to say hello and shake all these hands and hear all these stories. Like you got to go to like a mental spot for just for that experience. Well, I mean, it can be draining, right? I mean, you kind of got, you kind of got to steal yourself a little bit. Um, but, and that's why I don't do a ton of conventions. Um, because I just, I want it to be fresh. You know, I don't, I try, try to not go back to the same place for, for several years. Um, and I try to do just a few, a handful a year because I want it to be, I want to show up well and I want to be there for the fans and I don't want it to ever feel like a job and it doesn't to me. Um, and so, you know, those days are long, but, um, I really enjoy talking to people, man. So I just, I, you know, once I get in and I start talking to a few people and hearing some stories and, uh, you know, the day goes pretty fast. Um, but, uh, and, and there's always something different, you know? I mean, you think that you've heard all the questions before, but you haven't. Somebody always comes up with something <laughs> you've never heard before. So, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's really, 
it's, I mean, every now and then at the end of the, look, at the end of the day, I need a beer for sure. No doubt. Two, I bet. I you bet. know? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> cause the day, cause the days can be long, you know, but, uh, most of the time I'll have a blast doing it. So it's not hard. So. I've heard that Kane Hodder is kind of a blast at those after parties. Maybe he'll buy you a beer. <laughs> Man, Kane and I back in the day, yeah. I mean, you never know what you might see. We never know what you might see at those after parties. And Kane still gets after it a little bit, but he's he's lost a step. He'd probably be pissed if I said that, but he's lost yeah. a step at the after parties at least. Uh, and I don't, I, I don't, I don't stay. I, I mean, I don't stay up till five in the morning at those after parties, you know, and and. uh control the bars like I used to as much now that I've got kids and stuff like that and uh, gotten a little bit older, but I still like to have fun. I always go to the after parties because I feel like that's part of the experience. And I always like to meet fans there kind of out of the element of being in the show. You know, everybody's got a couple drinks under their belt and it's, everybody's usually dancing. Somebody's going to get on a table somewhere and I still like that stuff. So (laughs) hell yeah, brother. (laughs) Yeah. Before, before we let you go. Oh, absolutely. Before we let you go, I got to ask you about one deleted scene I heard you speak about in Jeepers Creepers 2 involving a coach in the cornfield. I mm. hate that that got cut out, but I would love to hear you tell, you know, the story again and for the audience to hear. It sounded awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. It's um you know, the Creepers we always intended, we got storylines for days. We always intended to uh keep the creeper a mystery as we, as you, as you probably figured out. And, and every movie we want the intention was to let out a little bit more about who he was and where he was from and his origins. And, um, so we have so many scenes and so many storylines that we never really got the opportunity to do, unfortunately, but that was always the intent. And so we'd have a good scene and for whatever reason, wouldn't make it in a movie and we'd be like, okay, we'll, we'll do it in another movie downstream somewhere you know right but one scene that i'll never forget man the creeper had such a wicked sense of humor um as you know and uh there's a scene and and he's always just trying to scare the shit out of the kids he has so much fun scaring the kids and there's a scene that victor wrote where the coach main coach when he gets snatched and taken away the kids are on the bus and you you remember and they're fighting uh, about, you know, what to do. And then all of a sudden they hear the coach's voice. I'm like, kids are looking up. Coach is like, kids, kids, help, help. I'm like, coach, coach. And they look out the windows of the bus and they see way out in the field, just above the grass, coach's face. And he's looking at him going out in the field going, kids, help, I'm hurt, help. And then the kids are like, shit, what do we do? You know, I'm not going out there. You going out there? I'm not going out there. You know, so they're fighting about who's going to go help coach. Somebody's got to go help coach. And then the camera pans around and you see from the coach's face to the back of his head. And you see the creepers got his hand in the back of the coach's head and he's moving his mouth like a puppet and throwing his voice like the coach trying to lure the kids out to come help the coach. You know, nice. Can you imagine awesome. that scene? Oh, that's sick. That's awesome. <laughs> but it's like, you know, Victor wrote shit like that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that we never got the chance to shoot, unfortunately. But he's a talented dude, man. So would have been a great scene. I can see it. You can see it be shot, being shot, can't you? 
Oh yeah, yeah. I, I wish that. it would have made yeah. it. Yeah, for sure. All right, so just kind of wrap things up. Can you talk us a little bit about like what does your future look like? What would you have stuff uh, kind of you know on the on the fire ready to go, or are you, yeah. what are you working on nowadays? Yeah, I've been I've been writing a lot, trying to produce my own stuff. I've got a few things that uh, that are fairly close, I think. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I got raising kids, chasing kids around, you know, so oh, that's yeah. fairly, that keeps me fairly busy. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really trying to produce more of my stuff now because I'm, you know, I've done so many roles and, and a lot of times as an actor for hire, you don't really get to do the stuff that you really want to do. Um, and so I just decided I'm going to start writing and producing my own stuff and which is what I'm involved in now more than anything. So Absolutely. And you don't have awesome. a, you, you're not very active. You don't have a lot of social media going on. I mean, how can the fans, how no. can the fans touch base with you? See you? Is there, is there, do you have any conventions coming up that, that, that you have on the schedule? Yeah. Yeah. The next, well, I'm, I'm not on social media intentionally. I just, oh, yeah. uh, I, it just got draining for, you know, I, I, I think I did it early in my career, maybe 20 years ago or so. Absolutely. And, you know, and I, I, every now and then I would write back to somebody who said something and that would just open Pandora's box. And then if you didn't, respond back, you know, within an hour, then the nasty grams would start. And I'd be like, you know, I, I just didn't have the time for it. Right. So I get it. I so get I got it. off social media. Um, so that's, I'm intentionally not present there anywhere. And, um, so yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, the creeper shows up when he shows up, man. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to be out in Vegas. Uh, there's a days of the dead. I'm going to be out at, um, in March in Vegas, okay. middle of March. Days of the Dead. Nice. So come out and see me there. Other than that, you know, like I said, Cooper shows when he shows. So absolutely. Awesome. We went Vegas. to a- Vegas in March. That's a good time to be there. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. 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 March Madness. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say we we did a Days of the Dead in Atlanta and they were in a very good convention. Uh, I was I'm impressed with, with what they got going on. So that'll be awesome. The, and they're they're opening them every in a lot of different cities. I mean, they really expanded it. Yeah. You know, the whole the whole convention, the the excitement about conventions and personal appearances and stuff, particularly since COVID is just blowing up, you know. Yeah. I mean, it used to sure. be when I, after when my very first convention, I think I went to was on the East Coast. And back back then, you had a couple of good big conventions on the East Coast. You guys might remember. And that was really it, you know. But now, you know, you could live anywhere in the country and be within a three hours drive of a, of a decent convention, which is pretty cool. So absolutely. Yes, sir. Absolutely. You know, get, you know, we're about to let you go, Jonathan, really appreciate your time, but you know, just getting to meet you at Spookala, you know, right where they filmed the first one, really special uh, moment for me. And it was really cool getting to see you uh, see that truck too with, uh, I can't, I think his name is Troy. That was a really cool picture seeing you two talk to each other and take the pictures by the truck. It was a really cool experience. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything else you'd like to promote or say before we let you go? No, guys. Pleasure being here with you. Happy birthday, dude. Thank Another you. year older. Happy, yeah. Happy yeah. early birthday to you as well. Thank you, man. Yeah. 30, 36. Hey, 33. <laughs> no, I'm shitting you, man. 36, <laughs> 36 plus 23. So. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for Jonathan, tuning in. Thank you so right, much. Thank this you was very awesome. Much. Just want to remind everybody. Oh.